The Talking Point with Kathy Mosasana. Weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. Very good morning, Kathy and SAFM listeners. Chief Zulu here from the Western Cape, Amatlubi National Movement and Amatlubi Kingdom. Um, it's very simple what we need to do. We just need to remove the ANC from our parliament and from our government, um, Achillons of Power, and put morally upright leaders, leaders that are going to serve the country, serve our people. You can't have an economy that is dying every day when you have a, I mean, South Africa is very rich. No one is supposed to go to bed hungry in South Africa. So, but we are suffering from leadership bankruptcy. We've got leaders, you know, but the ANC is blocking everything that is good and giving us junk. So, answer, remove them. Thank you very much. Hi, Katie. Welcome back. You're speaking to Sabata from Deben. Uh, to me, the main issue that are going to be determining or are going to be influencing me which political party to vote for unemployment is one, uh, corruption is, the, is, is, the, is another one. And the third one, the other most important one as well, because they are all equally important to me. The third one that is also very important will be the illegal foreigners flocking our country. Any political party that is advocating or meaning to push for those issues to be in the forefront is the political party that I'm going to choose. Thank you. Good morning, Katie. Compliment for the new year. This is Matumio speaking. My dear sister, it seems like some of the professors or the economists that you interview there, where you need some clarity and all those things, it seems like they play a comparison of the presidentship that we did have. But now they see all the negativity in this current government the same as the previous government. That's what they would think. This is continuity. As the South African, we don't base our future on this economy. Economists. What are they produce from their own universities or their own uh, institution of learning where they're supposed to produce the most exceptional student to becoming the economist of the best of the future. But all those analysis that they put, it's just a matter of blind spotting us. I think they're missing the point. Hashtag SAFM Talking Point. All right, we continue the conversation on the talking point. It's 11 after 11 o'clock, and we're going to focus on this story now. On Friday, the Justice and Correctional Services Minister, Ronald Lamola, reopened the inquest into the murder of the Craddock Four. The four, Matthew Goniwe, Spero Mkondo, fought 
Kalata and Stelo Mutlaudi were abducted and murdered by the security police in June 1985. As much as many of those perpetrators applied for amnesty during the TRC hearings, some families of the victims still believe that the process was a waste of time and that um, there has been a miscarriage of justice. Advocate Dumisa Ngebeza is a former commissioner at of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. He joins us this morning. Uh, Justice Nzebeza, good morning to you. Thank you so much for your time this morning. Yeah, good morning to you, Kathy, and good morning to your listeners. Thank you very much for having me. This has been an incredibly emotive journey in particular for many of the families of the Credoc Four. I want to begin our conversation by playing this clip of Lucanio Galata, who, among many others, have been very vocal about how the process um, that has been followed to try and really get some kind of finality into the matter of the Credoc Four, um, how that process has has played out and their general disappointment, I think, as a family. We are happy that our mothers will have the opportunity to finally hear the truth uh, around uh, the murders of our fathers and their husbands. Uh, the fact that this matter has taken so long is it is a terrible indictment on the NPA and, of course, the uh, successive governments of the African National Congress, uh, successive administrations, including that of former President Thabo Mbeki, uh, as well as Jacob Zuma, because had their governments uh, done the right thing, of, you know, close to 20 years ago, we would not be here. But, uh, you know, we, we are where we are. It, it was very sad for us last year when the NPA informed us that the last suspect in this matter, um, you know, had died. And we do blame uh, the ANC government for that because it had allowed a period of close on to 20 years where it could have acted, where it could have prosecuted, but it sat and it did absolutely uh, nothing. So hopefully uh, after this inquest is done, when we finally know the truth, when, you know, we will be suing uh, the government, we are, you know, we are in touch with uh, several other families who find ourselves uh, or themselves in exactly the same boat as we are. And then once, um, you know, the, our matter is concluded, we are going to go to court and we're going to sue the government for, for, for constitutional damages, for failing to do right by us. Yeah. Um, very, very strong voice, uh, strong words there from Lucanio Galata. And Justice Ngrebeza, he has a point that it has taken this government 20 years to do what it had promised to do at the onset of democracy. Your perspective, especially as um, a former commissioner of the, tr the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, well, I mean, one has just got to, I don't know whether you hear me properly, um, but, but one has got to uh, look at the, the chronology. Um, the amnesty application of Smeiman, Taylor, Lords, Van Rainsberg, Van Salem, to <clears throat> uh, was in 1999. That was about 24, 25 years ago. And... Um, 
And the last amnesty applications, which were dealt with by the amnesty committee, uh, were dealt with to finality, was in 2003 when the amnesty committee submitted its work uh, to, um, to to government, which therefore means that at least there's in between 20 to 25 years today when the assembly of those who were killed in 1985 have not been able to find closure because the the inquests that were held uh, by the beer and by Stainman, I mean, uh, by Zitzman, was a judge in 1993, were not conclusive, uh, and uh, which is why then, you know, I think certainly the Kalata family is keen that there should be closure uh, in the sense that the truth must be revealed. It's not enough to say these are the people who applied for amnesty, who, as you know, in terms of the promotion of national reconciliation and uh, promotion of National Reconciliation Act, uh, number <clears throat> 34 of 1995, anyone who wanted, who knew, who knew uh, that they had committed close uh, violations of rights, human rights, and or any other uh, acts in relation to which they needed to apply for amnesty. They were given in the period of one year within which to do so. And anyone who had applied, who had not applied during that period, when they should have applied, and anyone who had applied during that period and had been denied amnesty, then those people would be prosecuted. Now, the man that I've mentioned here, your Sneeman, your Taylor, your Lodge, your Van Rensberg, Francine Duplessis, all these people applied for amnesty in relation to the murder of the Kerouac Four. And uh, uh, if they got amnesty, I'm not so sure now what the effects are relevant there to. Um, then, you know, it would be a travel of justice. And that is why I think Minister Lamola wants to say, let's reopen the inquest into the deaths of those people, I mean, of the Kledok 4, so that we can get at least the truth behind what happened, as well as, as you put it, doing it in the interest of justice. Opening opening the matter by by way of inquest, you know, plays a, a role and, and a significant role at, at at that. But when we look at what has happened in some of the other matters, such as the um, the Ahmed Tamal matter, the issue of being able to hold people accountable for their actions is also something that comes up in um, related inquests, and and that also. Uh, seems to be an issue of contention that often these matters 
are left to even beyond the very last minute when none of the individuals who should or would be in an opportunity, in a position rather, to shed more light, that they are simply no longer there. And so, again, while there might be some truth that comes out, families, again, at the end of the process feel, well, you know, we could have done so much more. Do you think that there's, they, that there's a reason why these matters have been left for so long? Do you think it has been intentional at all? Um, it's not for me to say whether the you know the non prosecutors let let's look at them from the from whether or not people had committed crimes and had not applied for amnesty or to have been prosecuted. Like I indicated. There is no question about it. If you had committed crimes of the nature that were being dealt with by the TRP and you had not applied for amnesty, then you would be charged. That was what the provision of the law made, that a person must apply for amnesty for the heinous acts that they had committed or had omitted to do, you know, um, uh, but the nature of which was that, you know, whether they were saying there was a political motive those crimes or those acts, those violations of human rights had to be, you know, uh, applied. Uh, people had to apply amnesty for violating those uh, those human rights. And if they didn't, then they would be charged. Now, the question I think that arises here is, why were these people not charged? Why was there no prosecution? Now, I have just done an inquiry uh, at the request of the National Prosecution Act, I mean, National Prosecuting Authority, uh, but I will not go <clears throat> into, into the details. But during the course of my investigation, uh, what came out was that there were certain people in the NPA, you know, uh, directors of the deputy directors of national prosecution. Even Mr. Piccoli himself, who was the, then the director, national director of public prosecution, they told they tell me, they told me that they were interfered with, that there was political interference from the executives uh, who told them, without giving them reasons, that they must stay away from these TRC cases or TRC-related cases. In fact, you know, uh, one of the National Prosecuting Authority, um, you know, uh, directors or, you know, uh, National the deputy director in the in, in the national prosecution um, went so far as to say one minister and he named the minister President uh, Mabanja is the one who told him and others who were working in the unit that they should stay away from TRC related cases. 
Now, the question, of course, is going to be whether Minister Mabanda had the power or the authority to ask a national director of public prosecutions not to do their work. And the further question that would be, you know, that, that it would raise would be whether uh, if that is in fact what has happened, if that is the instruction that uh, Minister Mabanda gave to Ackerman and to all other national directors of public prosecutions, whether she was acting on her own in her capacity as a minister, or whether, in fact, it was something that she knew was sanctioned by the then president of the Republic of South Africa. Now, I have said in the recent, you know, inquiry or, 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 or that I made into all of the inspectors, whether the national, why the national prosecuting authority was so um, did not pursue particularly terrorism-related cases. I have recommended one of my recommendations is in that we need a commission of inquiry, a commission of inquiry which will have in their terms of reference and in their obviously you know terms uh, uh, of references. They must have the power to search and seize, and they must have the power to subpoena witnesses. And then they, those people who have been indicated to by the operatives in the national public prosecution, in the NPA, national public uh, prosecution authorities, then those people who have been indicated can be subpoenaed to come and give evidence in that commission of inquiry. Uh, did you, in fact, uh, give instructions to people in the National Prosecuting Authority not to pursue TRC-related cases? If you did so, why did you do that? Mm. Et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So, so, so when, when you sit and, and you look at the, the processes that needed to have unfolded, right, and this is particularly in pursuit of investigations into some of these matters, is it your view that without interference, they would have gone ahead? Yeah, of course. I mean, the, you must remember that in our uh, constitutional order, for the first time, in fact, in the, in the history of, uh, you know, uh, public prosecution in South Africa, we have a national prosecuting authority, which by definition and in terms of the constitution is an independent entity. In other words, it's no longer just an extension of the executive. They, that is why they can take decisions independently of the executive and they can take decisions for them to be able to prefer charges against the executive if they feel that there's been a contravention of the law by members of the executive. Now, so we, for the first time, therefore, in post-apartheid South Africa, well, then, you know, we have a national prosecuting authority which has that level of independence and in the constitution of the Republic of South Africa. So 
they want to show that they can act independently of the executive. And that is the first time that we have a, a prosecuting authority of that nature in our country. So there is now that tension between the executive and the, the prosecution authority. And the prosecution authority must have the latitude to hold everyone accountable, to be able to bring before courts of law, which are independent, you know, to determine whether or not there has been a level of, of, of interference with the work in which they do. When they say, we are an independent entity, we are now being interfered with in the manner in which I indicated. NPA that they have been approached or they have been from the then Minister of Justice, you know, Bridget Mabanj, that they must not deal with these TRC-related cases. And of course, the question would be why. That is why my recommendation is that it is a, a commission of inquiry. I know that, you know, after Zondo, people are fatigued with commissions of inquiry. But I think uh, I didn't have the power in my own, you know, investigation on behalf of the NPA. But a commission of inquiry with powers to search and see, with powers to subpoena witnesses, would be in a position to get to the bottom. Why was there political interference with the National Prosecuting Authority, as is claimed? by your Ackerman and by your Sure. We're going to continue the conversation in a, mo- in, in a moment. We're in conversation uh, with Justice Dumisan Sabeza. He's a former commissioner at the TRC and, as you heard recently, at least in the last year, 2023, conducted an inquiry into um, some of these matters and, in particular, looking um, at whether there had been enough measures put in place to deal with and prosecute um, TRC matters. We'll continue with this conversation in a moment. It's 11.30. Time for your latest news headlines. We continue the conversation on the talking point. We're looking in particular at the announcement that an inquest into the murders of the Craddock Four will now uh, get underway following an announcement by the Justice and Correctional Services Minister Ronald Lamola last week Friday. Uh, we're in conversation with a former commissioner of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, uh, Commission that is Justice Dumisa Nzebeza. Um, Justice Nzebeza, I want to ask um, particularly about those people who who ask the question of the relevance of still having these inquests now. So families, of course, will have their reasons for why it is important for them. But for you to go as far in your review um, that you were asked last year to, to conduct, to go as far as recommending a commission of inquiry into this matter, that means that you must view it in a very serious light. What is the benefit of doing all of that 30 years into democracy? Well, you know, there is this saying that the wheels of justice uh, are grinding slowly, but they grind exceedingly fine. So there cannot be 
a period during which justice would be um, <clears throat> there cannot be a period of time when it would be you know pointless to pursue justice i mean we hear today in places like you know latin america chile argentina and all of those other places bolivia where there had been transgressions you know violations of human rights of a very serious nature we hear now after so many years that some inquiries uh, are taking place that some pursuit of justice mechanisms are put into place because um, for as long as there is no closure not only for the families but for society itself for as long as the rule of law seems to have been um, undermined or to have been interfered with at any point in the history of our democracy that our democracy is tainted to that extent so for me speaking as a lawyer and as a so-called human rights lawyer there is always a benefit to getting to the roots of whatever indiscretions were perpetrated by whomsoever so that we have a society going forward <clears throat> that will not have part of its past history so um, tainted with injustice so tainted with crimes that were committed that you know um, the revelation of those um, injustices uh, has not taken place uh, we need a society going forward mm. that has looked at its past that has seen the indiscretions of the past that then says in view of the evidence of certain illegalities that took place in the past in a post democrat in a post apartheid democracy a constitutional democracy at that, at that we cannot afford a society where those who have committed indiscretions who have broken the law um, are not held accountable otherwise it would undermine mm. the whole notion of a rule of law of a society where you know the rule of law uh, prevails how far can we stretch this accountability because again when when we talk about these inquests right often it is the individuals that would have been involved um in the murders or whatever incidents are being investigated they're often the ones that um, will come under scrutiny. In the case of your recommendations, perhaps it's a level higher, and it includes whether there were, there were ministers from uh, instructions, rather from a minister or, or other senior officials. It strikes me, however, that given the scale of what we are talking about, is it probable that ministers that a minister would have issued an instruction? 
of her own accord that led to this kind of action where individuals were simply not held accountable for crimes that they committed under apartheid. And that was left alone by the collective. So I guess what I'm saying is that even if one individual had issued that instruction and there was a delay in the cases, surely the other other people around seeing the situation would have had the same impetus to say, but what is happening is, you know, should not be happening because this is what the families have been raising all along. Are we then to believe that this delay, um, to the extent that it has happened, has not necessarily been as a result of a decision taken by one or two people? Well, I, I, that is why, uh, Katie, I say we need a mechanism to be established. Uh, and I can think of no better mechanism than a truth, I mean, a, a, a commission of inquiry uh, to, to have terms of references that would actually seek to establish those very questions. What are the answers to those very questions? It can't just be allowed, you know, left to speculation as to whether individuals acted uh, um, as individuals uh, when, in fact, what they were purporting to be acting in relation to was a matter of policy. If it was a matter of policy, or certainly it was, uh, I mean, we, we, we must reach a stage where we must be able, as a society, a democratic society, we must be able to say, now that we know the truth of what happened, that is, that an independent national prosecuting authority was given instructions by the executive not to do their work. Can those people be identified in a process where they have, you know, an occasion or an opportunity to put their own side of the story? As you know, there are many sides to a story. If that is the claim that is being made by the National Prosecuting Authority, uh, people who were there, you know, who say we were interfered with. There were certain offenses which we felt were inconsistent with the post-apartheid democracy, which is a constitutional democracy. And we raised this, but we were interfered with in doing our work mm. by those who were in the executive. And therefore, you know, when once we have that commission of inquiry, where those who are alleged to have been perpetrators of this kind of conduct will have an opportunity to answer to those claims by those who would be bringing them before that commission of inquiry so that everyone has got an opportunity to be heard. Those who are making the claims of interference, political interference, and those who are denying that there ever was mm. those kinds of political interference, or who would explain the context in which they thought it was incumbent upon them to give political, or you know, uh, orders to people who uh, were exercising their duties as they saw 
the constitution and the legislation to be giving them the opportunity or the platform to to do so one, yeah. one, so when sure. once a commission of inquiry has got the people who make the allegations the people against whom allegations are made then there is at least now an evaluation of evidence which would make the recommendations that that commission of inquiry you know makes uh, much more uh, strong for purposes of implementation one still gets the sense that this matter is a political hot potato um that there is a, a reluctance for lack of a better phrase around how much uh, the current government wants to do uh, there just seems to be so much uncertainty around it as somebody again who's had the opportunity of actually looking in into the matter um w- would you would you say that there is some kind of reluctance lack of political will just an avoidance uh, of the issue well i mean look speaking as a person who was involved in the trc you will know for instance even before the demise of the late chairman of the trc archbishop desmond tutu may he so rest in eternal peace even before he died you will know that there was so much of a concern from all of us who had been commissioners in the trc that we sent you know to the uh, to the government of the day uh, you know um, what amounted to a statement by us who were expressing concerns that the recommendations which we had made uh, in 1996 when we had not even in 2003 in 1996 which had made particular recommendations and we were realizing that those recommendations that we had made were not being paid attention to so this has been a matter of grave concern to us who were in the truth and reconciliation commission I mean, today you hear people say, oh, what did this TRC achieve? And you realize that it is from people who do not even know the limits that were placed on us as a process. This was a process that had a limited, you know, mandate and a limited investigative period during which they could have, I mean, we were supposed to investigate 34 years of South African history from 1960 to 9 I mean to to from 1960 to 1994 that's 34 years and we're supposed to do it within 18 months and um, you know and then we were we had an option to ask for a further 6 months it could never have been done over that period of time it was a broad brush against the canvas but what we had hoped would happen is that for instance, I said, and I was the commissioner in charge of the investigative unit, I made the submissions at the end of 1998 that there are certain cases we have not been able to reach, you know, and those cases need further investigation, and there are certain cases which ought to be prosecuted, and those cases 
ought to be prosecuted. Now, the question is, when we make a recommendation like that in 1998, and then again at the end of the amnesty applications, and you will know that in the amnesty applications, a lot of people, even those, your Snaymans and your tailors and whatever, who had met at the Canada for, they had made statements in uh, in support of their amnesty applications. And therefore, therefore, there was some wealth of information, the nature of which would have given them the ability, you know, to, uh, would have given them the ability to uh, proceed with um, with what was recommended by the, by the TRC, but they didn't. Yeah. So right. the question is, what justifies the executive of the Republic of South Africa from doing that which is clearly indicated to by those who did the investigations as being legitimate? as being uh, you know something for which they should be accountable for all right and you ask about accountability you know people who are in charge of the country must be accountable and society needs to hold people to account justice that can only be done if there is enough information on the table. But you asked about political will. I have said in some of my writings on these issues that it is clear to me that there was no political will to do that which that ought to have been done. Oh. We who had been in the TRC had done what we thought was required of us by the legislature when they had, you know, um, passed an act of parliament, the promotion of national unity and reconciliation act, number right. 34 of 1995. Justice unfortunately, that's all we have time for this morning. We'll have to leave it there. Former Commissioner of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. That's where we leave it on the talking point for this Monday, uh, Monday morning. Up next is the book reading.